Hello and welcome to Season 3 of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident. The theme for Season 3 is better. Better everything, from AI to being fairer, big ideas to body language, if it's important to being a fairer person, business or planet, an expert and I talked about it. What follows is an edited recording, as Mouthwash is a live show created just for Twitter spaces, so the quality is more conference call than podcast sound booth. Sponsors are really important to me, so please take a moment to visit Ecology. They planted a tree in the TBD forest for every live listener we had. And if you want to offset your carbon footprint, you can do that easily. Just nip to ecology.com forward slash TBD conference and sign up. That's E-C-O-L-O-G-I dot com forward slash TBD conference. Also, I was honoured to partner with and test out Spaces Dashboard, the helpful tool that's making it super easy to find great audio on Twitter. Check them out on Twitter at Spaces Dashboard, all one word, and mount from Mouthwash for a surprise. Mouthwash is the audio show of TBD, the conference that people call TED without the bullshit. It's going hybrid March 31st, 2022. So get your tickets for the in-person event or the global live stream at universe.com forward slash TBD conference. Universe.com forward slash TBD conference. Use the code Mouthwash. You'll even get 25% off every ticket you buy. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Sign up to the newsletter on my Twitter profile. That's Paul underscore underscore Armstrong. And you'll get informed about all future seasons of Mouthwash. Trust me, you'll want to hear what we have coming up. Finally, as with all good podcasts, please share it on a network you trust. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to season three of Mouthwash. Fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident Monday to Friday with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator of TBD Conference. The conference attendees say that's like Ted without the BS. Uh, It's a strange time around the world. Uh, Zoom fatigue, climate change, the great resignation to the metaverse, lots going on. Uh, A lot seems scary, unfamiliar. Uh, People are rethinking everything from core beliefs to the way they work. Um, Core theme seems to be emerging, desire to improve and make things, including themselves, better. So that's the theme for season three, better. Better everything, from AI to PR, body language to open innovation. I'm going to be speaking with the massive brains and execs from Twitter to Walmart to Babylon, making you and the world live in a better place. Season three includes best-selling authors, security experts, speech coaches, Silicon Valley startups who want to reverse your aging process, and lots more. It's a great season so far. There's lots more to come. Make sure you get the SMS reminders so you don't miss a minute of it. Okay, let's get on with the show. Today's mega mind is Francesca Spector, author of Alonement, How to Be Alone and Absolutely Own It. Um, Welcome to the show, Francesca. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks, Paul. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining. Great. Okay, before I chat more with Francesca, let's talk about where we are and how you can get involved. Twitter space is still new for a lot of people, so let's explore it a bit. Um, we're on the mobile app, most of us. The top bit is called The Nest. That's where I or any speaker can post tweets like the ones I'm going to be posting up there throughout the show. Um, but if you've got any questions or anything, we take those through the hashtag. So you can see that up in The Nest now. And that's the, it's a very cool little feature. Uh, we use it for something we call Desert Island Tweets. And essentially, it's a nice, uh, nice way that you can share a bit of extra stuff in an audio space uh, which lots of people are desperately trying to copy Uh, you can have up to 12 speakers in uh, a twitter space uh, including the host you request the mic very simply just hit the left hand bottom button which looks like a microphone and uh, you'll be able to uh, be brought up onto stage and that sort of stuff Mouthwash is a bit more of a show format, so uh, use the hashtag, like I said before, Mouthwash Show, uh, or DM me, and I'll do my best to weave in your questions as well. If you need them, click the three dots on the uh, app, and you'll find captions and other accessibility features as well. Twitter has thought about those very, very good, so definitely, uh, definitely have a go at those. Okay, the next thing I would like you to do is actually just turn your attention to the nest one more time, and just click into the uh, the tweet that's up there, and it should say live now, and that sort of thing, and just do your a favor and the world and retweet that out to your followers if that's possible apart from francesca's and mayan's ego it actually does the world a lot of good because for every live person we get into the space a tree is planted courtesy of the amazing people over at ecology they help people offset their carbon off um uh, offset their carbon basically um very very cool uh, you get your own little uh, profile or you can add to our forest for tbd we've got over ten thousand trees there but their idea is essentially to reduce half the world's emissions by 2040 through collective action and if you want to learn more nip over to ecology.com forward slash tbd conference and there's lots of details there you spell ecology e-c-o-l-o-g-i.com 
We're also sponsored by Spaces Dashboard. That's the company that's helping good audio be found anytime, night or day. They provide a new, fast and easy way to see all of the latest live, upcoming and also past conversations on Twitter Spaces. So great to find people you want to listen to regularly, like Mouthwash. Uh, Spaces Dashboard really does help you find good audio anytime uh, of day. So make sure you're sort of checking them out. And you can find them at Spaces Dashboard, all one word. And you'll even get yourself an invite if you say hi to them and mention Mouthwash. Right, we let's enough enough plugging, enough plugging. Let's get on with the show. Um, time to shout, Francesca, in a whopping amount of emojis. So if you click the heart with a plus and begin f- tapping furiously, uh, I'm going to tell you more about her. And don't stop until the end. So if you're ready, launch them like I'm doing now. So if you find them, you should be able to throw those up. I want to see them all. Okay. Francesca Spector is a London-based journalist and founder of the platform Alonement. Her new book, Alonement, How to Be Alone and Absolutely Own It, is out now and spawned the popular podcast by the same name, where she has an amazing array of guests, including celebrities, psychologists, authors, where she talks about being alone and loving it. Previously deputy editor of Yahoo Lifestyle and a reporter at the Daily Express, Francesca is now featured in the pages of the newspapers from The Guardian to Grazia. Nominated for several awards, including the PPA Digital Rising Star Award, Francesca is on everyone's must-speak-to list and uh, what she focuses on affects billions and has repercussions possibly for the future of humanity. So we're going to talk about that today. What did I miss out that people should know about you, Francesca? Ooh, that was, um, yeah, that was quite an impressive introduction. I'd rather quite like to have that voice in my head as my inner cheerleader from now on. I love that. I love yes. That. We're going to talk about inner cheerleaders a little bit later, <laughs> I believe. So yeah, but you don't miss anything out. There's always one thing. Always one thing. Um, well, I suppose the new thing is uh, my newest venture, which is that I am now the creator of a podcasting course called Podcast to Platform. So I'm just going to give that a sneaky plug there if there's any uh, budding future podcasters out there listening. Very cool. Yeah. Um, where can they find out more information about that? So that's uh, podcasttoplatform.com. And it's Excellent. a course uh, specifically for people like me who come from a writing or creative background uh, and want to use podcasting to create a platform, uh, which, you know, I found to be a pretty, pretty decent means. Uh, it ended up being the thing that uh, led to my book. So, yeah, very yes. passionate about podcasting and uh, all, all forms of uh, audio as a, as a medium. I was going to say, it's probably good for audio space people as well. So, yeah, yes. very cool. Okay, we're going to talk about a lot of things today, but let's start easy. What was the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning? Ooh, um, I uh, thought very hard about how my boyfriend needs to get a much um, more quiet alarm clock. It sounds like a woodpecker sort of burrowing into my brain. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was my waking thought. That, that sounds like harassment. Oh my goodness! Right, okay. <laughs> Just uh, the alarm the clocks. Last... <laughs> okay, new alarm clocks for everyone. Um, how's the last twenty-four months been for you? Last twenty-four months. Well, it's been a mixed bag. I mean, uh, on the one hand, uh, my book came out. Uh, I launched my podcast. I got to pivot from writing about being alone pre-pandemic to uh, writing about being alone during the pandemic when it became more of the norm uh than than usual so it's been it's been incredibly edifying as i think that you know pretty much everyone has found the pandemic very edifying it's while it's all sorts of things it's also a very unique time in history to live through so yeah um but you know it's had its it's had its ups and downs and i think that you know as again, many of us are finding right now, you know, the minute you think you've found, found your footing, processed the, you know, the events of, of lockdown and all the sort of, you know, anxiety and everything, then, you know, you find there's a whole different thing to navigate. Yeah, I think that, you know, at the moment, I'm hearing a lot of people um, reapproaching the festive season and comparing that to last year and sort of, you know, having, having been able to almost opt out of it in a in a very sort of last minute way um there's almost a more sort of a rebellious approach or a more so, more sort of throw out the rule book you know what are we going to do this year on our own terms approach like a more proactive one uh which has been which has been really interesting but you know i think it's uh it hasn't been easy it hasn't been easy for anyone but it's certainly been enriching and edifying i was going to say but it must have been a great period to launch a book about being alone in, shouldn't it? Uh, you see yeah again um mixed bag um it was very strange in terms of launching because uh, I was one of those very silly people that had planned uh, planned a big event for uh, March 2020. That was supposed to be the sort of uh, glitzy, you know, journalist media launch of my podcast. Mm. Um, and then that 
that event is, is <laughs> the rest of pretty much 2020 got cancelled. Um, and then and then launching the book in itself was a very strange period because it was uh, actually before lo- uh, before bookshops were open. So um, it was, you know, it was all sort of Amazon based. Um, But then on the other hand, it was incredibly topical. Um, And I think served as a sort of welcome balm for people who had no choice to be alone. um, And were actually realizing that there could be, you know, two ways to go about that. That even if you weren't choosing that aloneness or choosing the perhaps more lonely times, then there was positivity to be found. So it definitely came out topically at the right time if not logistically yeah um, before we talk more about the book let's talk about being alone for a bit um, why mm. does being alone get such a bad rap why does being alone get such a bad reputation I, you know I'm still trying to answer this question myself um, I think that there is this bias towards it um, you know, even in daily conversations or you know no one wants to be alone or oh you know sorry to leave you alone tonight all of that um, and I think, you know, as someone that's internalized this bias without quite understanding it for most of my life, because I do come from the background of being an extrovert, you never used to get alone time as a beneficial experience. Um, I, you know, I'm now kind of questioning why it was never, it was never taught to me. It's never taught to anyone, you know, as a, as a child, you're taught social skills, but never solitude skills. And I would say that both are equally important. If I was going to sort of give, take a stab at guessing, I think it would be the sense that we are sort of pack animals, the sense that, you know, actually from a biological way, from, you know, from an evolutionary way, we, we do need each other in order to survive. So the idea of being alone, even if that's, you know, for, for an evening... Um, I think there's some sort of almost primal projection we have that that means you're going to be alone forever or that means you've rejected the benefits of, you know, being a social pack animal. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's interesting when you do reduce this to simply a species that wants to survive. Aloneness, you know, uh, permanent aloneness would be kind of impossible. Um, so, yeah, so, I you know, and I think that there are also... I think I think sometimes also in terms of when people are suspicious about people spending time alone um, or, you know, people expressing the desire to enjoy their solitude. Um, and I suppose this is how I used to be. You know, if someone, if someone says this and you don't quite understand it, you haven't quite got there, you haven't found out how to personally make solitude or, you know, what I describe as alonement a positive experience, then of course, if you don't understand something, it's going to kind of make you a little bit ratty about it. Um, and you know, it's, it's easier quite often to criticize something rather than trying to understand it and trying to actually see how much of that you can introduce into your own life. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about the biology of it um, a little bit later and that sort of thing. So I'll, I'll hold that for them. But but that's not what the book is about. The book is not saying we should all be alone and that sort of stuff. We're saying the book is rather saying that you should sort of um, protect that time and you should be better at spending it, if that makes sense. Does, is that a fair as- assessment? Absolutely. I think that it's perhaps quite a Western thing to think, you know, oh, we've got to, you know, this thing is good for you, therefore you must do more of it you must do it quite a lot it's that crash diet mentality right you know oh um you know we can't really think eat less carbs we have to think eat no carbs we can't think you know go to the gym once a week it's got to be you know what do you what's your, what's your you know do, do you get up every morning and go like it's there's no you know i think that we actually underestimate how much adding moderate values of something moderate amounts rather of something to our lives can actually transform it in big ways um, and that's really that sense of moderation that sense that little and often is enough is kind of what alonement is predicated on I mean we all get different amounts of alone time as part of our lifestyle uh, you know I, I hear anecdotally that parents new parents struggle to even get you know five minutes alone to have a shower or go to the toilet or any of that but you know I think that actually being able to value little bits of it in your day-to-day life can benefit pretty much just about everyone um, and you know that's why alonement is very much a universal thing and I, I suppose 
you know, just to allude to the idea of biological needs or, you know, indeed just kind of mental health needs, I think that having a little bit of that time um, is, you know, is something that actually we would all lead a bit of a happier life if we just took aside a little bit of time to be alone every day. And actually it could it could serve to reinforce and enhance the quality of the together time that we spend. I mean, you know, we all know what it's like, how beneficial it can be to take a you know, five minute time out during an argument with someone or, you know, during a group holiday to be able to be the person that volunteers to go to the supermarket and, you know, return back with a whole sense of being refreshed and a new mm. perspective. Um, and I think that those things can work together. It doesn't need to be choosing to be alone 24-7. It can be choosing to be alone, you know, 24 minutes of that 24-7 and that will make the difference. That will mean that you lead a life that does involve alonement. Mm. Um, in the book you talk about your relationship with yourself being the most important one you'll ever have yeah I don't think most people see themselves having a relationship with themselves do you have any advice for people who would want to increase how to listen to themselves more um yeah I think you're in a relationship with yourself whether you like it or not um I think there's that we alluded earlier (laughs) to the idea of a you know inner cheerleader inner critic um and I think that most of us spend our lives so distracted and that's so facilitated by you know, the digital world we live in right now as well, that, you know, you're, you're telling yourself all these things. You're, you're, you're speaking to yourself all the time. You're, you know, you're, you're caring for yourself or not caring for yourself. Um, you know, most, many of us who think that we don't have a relationship with ourselves are actually just slightly neglectable parents to ourselves. Um, and I think that, um, but, you know, it, it is something that's very, very hard to do. It feels uncomfortable and no one, I think unlike, you know, a, another person that would be in a relationship with, you know, unlike a dependent child or, or a partner or a friend, no one's telling us to take note of ourselves. No one's telling us to give that time to ourselves. We, we have to, again, I think we, you know, it, it does come down to acknowledging, yes, the baseline is we are all in this relationship. Are we going to choose to value it? Um, and then I think that, you know, I've done a lot of talking about this. There's a lot of theory, um, but it actually does involve doing things. It involves the action of something that I have as a non-negotiable in my life is that if there's something really bothering me and I, you know, I can feel myself running away from it in all sorts of ways and, you know, manifestations such as a little bit too much lint chocolate or, you know, trying to, uh, you know, or, you know, going to the gym, you know, a little bit too much or, you know, we, you know, at the end of the day where you just feel like you need to be surrounded by people or book up your calendar, you know, I say to myself, no, I, I need to actually, I, I need to actually rely on myself for this. I need to actually stop running away from this relationship with me. And then, you know, journaling will be really, really important. And, you know, the way that I write to myself in my journal is almost, it's, it's, it's interesting because it starts as I, it starts as, you know, I feel this, I feel that, but, you know, it almost ends up turning into a sort of second person you by the end of it I'm advising myself and as as absolutely insane as that might sound it's probably the most mentally stable thing that you know I've learned to do it's the most you know it, 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 it it's the provider of sanity um you know so I think you know some people like to leave themselves uh, voice notes um you know some people like to do this through therapy it doesn't always need to be done exactly with alone time but it is about properly scheduling in and setting aside that time for yourself and honoring that relationship you know as you would with a relationship with a partner that you want to work on you would give time to it you would proactively try and work on it Mm. you you say in the book that society smiles on the extrovert um for example um uh, i think it was you going out uh, after work or something like that. I can't remember mm-hmm. what it was. Um, I think it's a really interesting point that you bring up. Um, when, when I think about it in a larger sort of context, does it just mean that we're all just sloppy messes that sort of live for drama or <laughs> are there other things going on here? Do we need to break the cycle? Yeah, it's interesting, the extroversion thing, um, because you think that, you know, I, I am an extrovert. I'm someone that has always enjoyed parties and, and quite conveniently, at least, you know, pre-pandemic parties were always the socially acceptable way to mark a you know a milestone occasion like a birthday or whatever so it was 
it was life was really easy for me in that respect and I thought great you know I've looked out I'd way rather be me than you know be on the other side of the coin but actually what I didn't realize was that yes everyone's telling you that this is the right way to be but you actually end up being neglectful again to that relationship with you and you know it's 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 reinforced and I think that why we reward it is perhaps more complex and you know it's worth saying that for instance in um you know in in the east you know in in sort of asian societies like it's less you know like japan it's it's actually more of a socially acceptable thing to be more of a reserved introvert so you know it's not it isn't it isn't consistent across everywhere um but i think definitely in the west there is this sense of yeah you know i maybe it's a sign of power having you know being able to sort of interact with lots of people and and be influential in that way i'm not quite sure i think there are lots of factors that come into the reason that we sort of elevate extroverts and extroverted behavior um but you know i do think it's worth mentioning that while it might seem on a sort of superficial level that you're rewarded you actually it's, it's difficult not to internalize that feeling that being surrounded by people is the right way to be because actually it doesn't end up being a reward for yourself. Actually, the, you know, the more important thing, the more ideal thing long-term is to be able to cultivate, yes, that extroversion, yes, enjoy those parties, but also cultivate that time with yourself um, and also actively, almost actively try and become more of an introvert in some ways or at least be able to switch into that mode. Um, because you know, as much as we tell ex- we tell introverts to be more extroverted, we never tell extra- we rarely tell extroverts to be more introverted. Um, not in so many ways, um, you know. And so, actually, I think we could learn from each other. Yeah, it's normally a negative, isn't it? If you're extrovert, you're told to like stop something. If you're introvert, you're t- everyone wants to be the other thing, or the other people to be the other thing. It's mm. it's incredibly frustrating, I'm sure, to receive either. Um, you know, because you think you're normal or doing what you want in both both sections I think um I think a lot of extroversion probably stems around norms um you know things that, are, that people sort of have seen over the years and that's how they think they should act and that sort of thing one I always think of is work and going for after dinner drinks which I think you mentioned in the book as well um I always felt they were like forced fun and all of that sort of stuff when I was doing them some some were great but most were awful and sort of awkward and you, you, you've spent enough time with those people anyway you want to go home and find your friends don't you um it's not so much of a problem at the moment but arguably I think FaceTime is about to become a lot more important for things like promotions and sort of um, getting on at work and that sort of stuff. What's your advice for people who find themselves in these sorts of situations they might not want to go to? Or say, let's Christmas, whatever one you want to pick. Um, but it's those sort of, uh, they feel they need to go type of events. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's difficult. I think there is more of a sensitivity. There's more of an acknowledgement now that, you know, these things weren't actually ideal for everyone. You know, it wasn't even a line of best fits you know, quite often the majority almost would secretly not quite want to go. And I think that the honesty that's come out of the pandemic and the increased conversations around that and the, you know, all the accidental social experiments around work from home culture, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I do think there is more scope to be, I think a lot more honest conversations have been had on a sort of, you know, national level almost. And I think that there is, there's, there's more than one way to be and I think that actually sometimes owning who you are and you know how you want to be even if even if that's just how you want to be at parties maybe you maybe you prefer to sort of just have a you know a couple of intimate chats in the corner you know own it be you because you actually be surprised by how many people you end up inspiring and and giving permission to be themselves you know I know unfortunately there are you know there are still these parties there are still these situations which you know you don't you you dread and I you know I get I get that from not on a personal level because again I have that natural bias as an extrovert but you know I get from having conversations with colleagues at uh, Yahoo where I used to work they used to say to me look I'm going to show willingness but I don't want to go um, but I think being able to turn up as yourself and not feel the need to be life and soul of that party but enjoy that party in your own way will be actually quite catching and you'll probably end up feeling more normal turning up as yourself rather than pretending to be life and soul and not feeling authentic Mm. you talked in the book about um taking a book if you go and eat at a restaurant alone is there something that people could do at that party for example yeah i mean um yeah it's it's uh 
it would definitely be a very quirky thing to rock up at um at a party with uh with a book um i'm trying i'm trying to think there are there are different i don't know there are different it depends on the um the circumstance that you're in um mm. you know you know some people i'm i'm trying to think you know at a at a dinner party for instance you know some someone might take like a board game or a card game that you play around the table or something to sort of facilitate you know more of a you know a different way of being again it's just experimenting um depending on the scenario that you're in um you know i think that one interesting thing to experiment with um and a lot of people can do this during the pandemic is something um like not necessarily sobriety but definitely mindful drinking um i think that quite often we again as a as a as a crutch to cope with this sort of western extroverted society um Mm. a lot of us tend to sort of over drink at these occasions but actually i've found from experimenting myself um sometimes you know if you don't if you know you might you might say okay i might have a drink or two um but i'm actually going to focus on you know connecting with people i think that actually not relying on those coping mechanisms can actually you know i i went to a party um sober a couple of months ago um and uh you know everyone else was drinking but i came away from it and i thought wow okay i didn't you know i don't don't feel like that was the most you know, wild I've ever been, or that was the most whatever. But I definitely feel like I've really connected with people, and that it's fed me. It's fed me in a way that I, you know, had hadn't felt, you know, in before when I, you know, in, in nights where I was just like drinking lots, or just you know, not really, you know, trying trying to act like a more extroverted version of myself um, through alcohol. So I think that you know, again, just being able to not take the way that you think you should be at that party or that event as given and actually think, okay, these are, this is the circumstance. How can I rewrite the rule book a little bit? There is more than one way to do this. Yeah, good. I, I think breaking the norms, not doing expectations, which I want to talk about a little bit later as well. We're on Twitter spaces, technology. Um, it's got a big part of uh, to play in all of this, I think. I mean, there's um, relationship updates, status updates, fear of missing out, inducing stories on every platform, whether or not they're wanting, you know, relevant or anything. Everything's always wanting to be more or do something. How big a part of the problem is technology, do you think? If you had a scale of, say, 1 to 10, 10 being we're doomed, where are we right now with regards to being alone? Yeah, um, with regards to being alone, how much how much is a problem? Um, how much is, is technology a problem? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, to start with, I think these things are what you make them um you know people have been worrying about new technology new advancements since the beginning of time um you know i think that there's always a fear of progress there's always a fear you know of the change that comes with it um i think that definitely you know the the narrative um i think the narrative recently has shifted to not so much you know we can't we're not going to get rid of this but you know we're not going to you know we're, we're currently you know having this conversation on you know iPhones via Twitter that's brilliant that's a brilliant facility um it's you know it's we're not going backwards but it's it's actually being taking this responsibility that we have a bit more seriously there was um one of my podcast guests from the last series um Mo Gaudat he's written a really wonderful book called Scary Smart which talks about AI and he effectively talks about having a almost parental relationship with AI because Effectively, it's going to get a lot smarter than us, but we're the ones putting into it what's going to come out of it. You know, we're the ones teaching AI, effectively. We're the ones influencing the algorithms. And I think it's a bit like that with social media. Uh, you know, if the first thing, basically, is to make it social. I think that you know, there's a big difference between sitting there, scrolling Instagram, and, you know, and thinking, you know, and not not really doing it with much intention just looking like you know i I call it rubbernecking when you're your neck's twisted everywhere and you're looking at different people and you're thinking oh i maybe i should be more like this or like that and it just sort of it grinds away at your sense of self i think what we can do is we can use social media to actually i don't know like i personally as a writer for instance i use it as a tool to express ideas so it you know and it, it does involve an interplay between 
being offline, you know, writing things, thinking about things, doing that, doing the journaling, doing the the writing for myself, and then and then coming onto it and using it as a social tool to have conversations. And I think that in that way, it can be quite a useful. It can be, you know, it can be a compliment to being alone. Sometimes, you know, if I've been alone during the day, um, and you know, I feel like I want to discuss ideas with people, or you know, I feel like I want to learn a bit more about x or x you know by asking questions then that can be really nice and it means that effectively i can you know can have a day by myself but not feel lonely because you know lonely is still loneliness is still a risk um when you're spending time alone and i think being able to use it to create that all-important balance which enhances the quality of both your social and your alone time is really great you know it's brilliant that we have these huge communities that we can feel heard acknowledged part of something and it does then go on to reinforce the quality of our aloneness. Um, you know, so I think, again, it's having that sense of control. And, it, you know, it, it, the control is necessary. I, I have a rule for myself where I don't, on work days, I don't um, have my WhatsApp active before midday. Um, and I think that that can be, you know, that's something that, you know, allows me to effectively be a bit you know have a I don't know inhabit the you know the, the space of my mind before getting distracted by a million things because I think that these things are so overwhelming and I think and you know again I think it's something that we normalize we normalize our attention being grabbed you know by all these pings and dings non-stop and that can take away from our aloneness. So I think if we think, okay, this is overstimulating, this isn't, you know, quote unquote, normal, this probably isn't how our brains are supposed to be, um, then we can, you know, we, we can keep a check on it and, and, and use it again as that social tool rather than something that just stops us from ever developing ability to be alone in our heads. Yeah, I think when I when I hear that those that 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 answer from you, the word that keeps fr- freshing over my brain is um, protection. We we constantly have to protect ourselves and protect our time, not just our alone time, but our time in general. And I'm I'm worried that technology now it has gone too far and they can't pull it back. Like you've seen Apple, you've seen Google push in things like focus mode and things like that. <laughs> and like we'll tell you how much internet you've used last week and that sort of stuff. But it doesn't seem to be having a massive effect on how we use our devices or how we use the tools. So I'm always interested for, to hear from people about how they curtail the, the massive information coming to them. I think not not using apps, um, you know, for half a day. That's really interesting. You know, that's mm. the thing. I, I personally have one rule and I don't know if it's of help to anyone, but I'll tell you anything. Really. I just have one VIP list and everybody who I would remotely want a, um, uh, a phone call or a text or anything important throughout the day, they go on that list and that any of that comes through. But that's constantly like cold, if that makes sense and changed. And most it's, it's like 12 people. It's not mass, massive amounts of people, but it's kind of interesting. And then apart from that, my phone's completely blank. So it's very black and white. It's very boring. It's very dull. And it does not attract my attention whatsoever. Um, it's quite an interesting sort of flip from where I was two or three years ago, which is completely the opposite. All bells were going off. It was never not from a table and that sort of thing. And I think the one thing that I learned from doing that, I can't remember who it was. It was, um, he wrote, oh, I'm near Al. He wrote Yeah, It was great. We had him on mouthwash um, last season. And um, I told him that story. He was like, great, one mind change. And I was like, amazing. <laughs> but uh, he was really um, instrumental into a lot of people and sort of realizing how disruptive they can be when they want to when they want to actually achieve something, not just like get work done, but like actually achieve something. So I think that's quite an interesting one. But um, yeah, I, I, I have my concerns over technology. I really do at the moment um, where they are. But anyway, let's talk about... Um, well, actually, I'm coming across um, a phenomena more and more as I see my friendship group morph into like mothers and fathers rather than just being friends, you know, lots of projected expectations and that sort of stuff. There's an expectation that certain paths need to be followed. I think it's born from a good place, but they're just expectations from a lot of different people, media, society and that sort of stuff. How do we change people who maybe have something that think other people should have something to talk about that? Sorry, I for some reason that the end of that question broke up so if you could possibly repeat it because I just want to get that right yeah yeah, yeah. so lots of my friends are now mothers and fathers and they're starting to uh project things on me like why haven't you got a house yet or like how are you gonna find someone and all of that sort of stuff 
I think that's coming from a good place. Um, but it's kind of like, I've done something, therefore I'm going to project what I think you should do and that sort of stuff. How do we change that expectation for people who just want to be left alone? Yeah, yeah. It's, I think, and at the base of it, there, you know, there is really sympathetic reasoning for that, right? Because we are, you know, we are we're social beings. We are socially affirmed by the people around us. And I think it's really, you know, it's scary when we, I think from, you know, from, uh, you know, when you, when you're at school together and you, you know, your world is quite small, then you're all doing the same thing. You might be taking, you know, slightly different GCSEs or whatever, but you know, you are all doing the same, you're wearing the same uniform and there's a, there's a real comfort in that. I don't think you realize that until you move through and you are at different life stages to your closest friends and you're having to navigate that. And I think that, you know, on, you know, from, the, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a parent, um, but, you know, I can only imagine, like, from the perspective of becoming a parent, then there's a sense of, you know, this is a really big, scary thing that I'm doing, and I need as much, you know, social support, social affirmation, for the social validation for these um, big, scary decisions as possible, so that, you know, there's that, it's kind of like with that thing of people not quite understanding why you would want to spend time alone, it's like, Ooh, that that vexes me. That confuses me. Therefore, I'm going to be sort of critical of it because it's easier than me sort of having in my head that we're on two different paths and that's okay and that doesn't take away from me and that doesn't take away from you. Um, you know, it is it is really hard, and I think that one of you know you can't. Unfortunately, you can't, like it. Everyone is only really responsible for themselves and their own sort of sense of you know their own sense of like you know validation in their own choices um but i think maybe you know i, I guess on the one hand it's it's honesty it's being like i found that you know i was for a very long time i was the only single one out of my friendship group and i would be very honest with them about you know dating like to sort of almost invite them into that experience to you know not um you know and, and, and reduce the distance between us because at least there wasn't you know a lack of honesty or a lack of whatever between us um you know and I think also it was okay it it was up to me to think okay I'm happy in the choices I'm making it was up to me to go away and do the self-work sort of alongside them um you know and I think sometimes also the only thing you can do is yeah stay on your own path and and find like no one's going to give you the answers in the the same way that you're not necessarily going to give them the answers it's taking that responsibility to yourself seriously, um, you know, finding your happiness in and of yourself and, and being able to sort of coexist in a way that's, in a way that's respectful, but not, again, not imposing on each other. Yeah, I think I think that's an important one. I, I must admit, I've had really tough conversations with friends about it, sort of going, that's great for you. I'm not really into that. You know, I respect your choices, respect mine. And that's sort of, it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting. It sort of gets to a point where like, where is, is there an age limit to being alone that's okay? Yeah, it's almost like that, isn't it? And I think the really strange thing as well in terms of like, um, in terms of life stages, it's almost like there's this, it's more adult to sort of be, you know, quote unquote, yeah, in, you know, in a relationship, having kids. And even though, even though it's so not the case, even though, you know, I know, you know, I know anecdotally, I know from friends, I know that, you know, you can feel, you know, as a new parent, you can probably feel, I don't know, taken back to childhood in a whole different way. You know, there's that, it is vulnerable in, in and of the experience, but there's this social thing that like, you know, settling down, moving on, whatever is, is where you make your na- next life stage. And it's really, really, it's hard to separate that, narrative of you know doing the going through those milestones is being an adult for you know compared to like what actually makes you feel like an adult what makes you feel like you've moved on with your life and you know matured um it's they are because they are two separate things yeah it's, it's certainly an interesting period for a lot of people I, I keep talking about it to other people some who are single some are in couples and that's something and some of the couples are really bothered about like you know oh you've gone down that route you know and that sort of thing so <laughs> no one's ever happy it's really weird but yeah yeah um you we mentioned the podcast um you featured some amazing names congratulations um one that really stuck out when i was listening um is florence gibbon she's um an author and she's does lots of other things sells um goods and that sort of stuff but her new book women don't own you pretty uh is an enlightening read i think to put it mildly um she talked in it about baking your, i should ask her but i'm going to ask you she talked about baking your own cake and not needing crumbs can you explain that oh yes um 
I, I realize it's lunchtime, so I apologize to anyone who's feeling quite hungry, but this is a, actually very much a metaphor. So it's, it's the idea of, so it, they are actually two slightly different concepts. So the idea, you know, the idea of crumbs is not taking, you know, crumbs of affection, not taking, you know, and anyone, you know, anyone familiar with the sort of modern dating scene will probably understand this, you know, the little bit, the, the Instagram likes or the, you know, the, the message, the sporadic messages that come every so often, like the, you know, the tiny bits of, you know, pseudo affection that, you know, confuse you and sort of open a tab up in your brain about that person, but really don't actually translate to them having any sort of sincere committed, um, uh, you know, sincere commitment to you. Um, and then, you know, the idea of like baking your own cake, um, it's effectively making, you know, making your life whole and complete by yourself and being able to do that for yourself. And, you know, that can come to, you know, that can, that can come into many different contexts that can come into, you know, having, you know, being, you know, being happy in your, um, in, you know, in your weekend setup or like, you know, having, you know, keeping your home tidy or all of these things, you know, not feeling like you have to rely on someone that you know you have to outsource kind of quite crucial parts of your day-to-day existence to someone else to make you happy because once you've proved to yourself and it is a constant process to be honest of proving to yourself but once you prove to yourself that you can do that that you're able to do that then actually inviting someone into your life becomes a case of wanting them not needing them a very a very poignant point i think for a few people on the on the thing as well um don't give them all away, um, but you mentioned there are three easy solitude skills to enhance alone time. Um, do you want to pick your favourite one and tell people what it is? Yeah. Um, I think the whole thing about planning ahead, just because this was such a revelation for me, and I just, again, it's that, that kind of thing that I wish someone had told me I could do as a teenager. You know, you can plan an evening by yourself. You don't have to. In terms, you know, if you everyone likes looking forward to a plan, everyone likes doing nice things, um, and you can you can plan that lovely quality time with yourself, and then that will be something to get excited for. And you know, that's you know, it's very that's very much an example of baking your own cake. You know, for instance, say there's a film that you really want to watch, so you can say, okay, like you know, Thursday night, I'm going to I'm going to do that. I'm going to cook my favorite meal. Um, I'm going to, you know, even as, as as absurd as it might sound, you know, I'm going to put on, you know, those really, you know, comfy joggers or you know, I'm going to make sure that, you know, I've lit some candles or that, um, you know, that I've, you know, tidied the flat. So, um, you know, so everything will be kind of ordered for me because this is all the, all, this is all the sort, sorts of things that you will do for another person, right? You'll prepare in advance, you'll prepare for date night. So being able to know that you can have date night with yourself is just really great. And then it just, it comes into, it means that you don't think you have to wait to be in a relationship or cohabiting with someone or this or that to have nice things. You can have nice things by yourself. You can bake your cake alone. Mm. Okay. Um, I really wanted to cover being alone because a, it gets such a bad rap uh, and I've actually always enjoyed going to things like the cinema on my own when I lived mm. in America all the way through to just observing people and how they move through spaces I think partly that's my psychology coming through there many many moons ago at uni I don't know why I just enjoyed being on my own more for some things you know that sort of stuff but um, I wouldn't however feel super comfortable going to a dance class on my own I remember reading that in the book um, some things are just huge mountains to climb and still very quote unquote finger wiggles out there what's your 30 second tip for someone who wants to get over that fear do it i think that exposure therapy is great because if you do it and you realize it wasn't quite as awful as you thought then you know you might find yourself uh, <laughs> you might start, find yourself craving it in a way that you never expected it to be possible but you know i think sometimes it really is just in the doing there's no other way around it so so pick up that spider eat that food or go to that thing that's that's the just get just do it Go to that thing. And if you can find joy in it, then you're then the joy that you find in it might be worth the slight discomfort. Love it. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, okay, you mentioned the podcast course. Um, remind everyone about that. And what's next for you after alonement? Is there an alonement too on the way? Mm, yeah. So it's very interesting with when books come out because I didn't quite realise the uh, <laughs> 
how long a process it is, you know, as writing it takes a lot, years. takes a lot. Yeah, well, and I think you know, I think the the paperback is out in March um, next year, so that'll be a whole other audience. Um, and you know, it's still people are still discovering it every day. I think that. I think it needs to be, I think I want to give it a bit of breathing space, but I think that if I, you know, and don't hold me to this, but, you know, I think that um, if and when I were to, you know, advance the concept in another book, um, it would be very much more about, you know, those things that we've talked about, I suppose, moving into different life stages and preserving your alonement within that, because as much as it was always, and is always a universal concept, I wrote the book from the vantage point of, being someone who was single who was living alone and also you know during a pandemic you know that was when I ended up doing the bulk of the writing even though the concept sort of predate like predated it and I think that if I were to be doing that again you know I'd want to say look this is how you preserve alonement within a relationship you know maybe one day this is how you preserve alonement as a parent because I think being able to give as many examples from my own life and from you know the life of others the more I always think you can't be what you can't see. So I, you know, I would like to invite, you know, probably, a, you know, a, a different perspective of my own, but also more from, you know, even more from other people, even though I interviewed over a hundred people for the first book, I'd like to have more of that. Um, and because, yeah, I just, I just think it's something that's so universally applicable and universally important that, um, yeah, I would, I would love to, um, to drive home the point. Um, yeah. And, no, I think that's fair. Um, it, it sounds like a disgustingly planned segue, but it's not. But um, it's time for your Desert Island Tweets, the part of Mouthwash where the guest picks a tweet or two that's changed their mind in some way uh, or thinking uh, in some way. Uh, so please turn your attention to The Nest. And um, Francesca's picked one by Julia Fine, who is an America prolific American author. Um, Julia wrote, uh, write the book you want to read because you still have to read it 75 times. Um, why did you pick this one? Well... It made me think of something that uh, Alan DeBossom, one of my podcast guests, wrote once, which is that you effectively are your own patient. You know, he is his own patient, rather. Um, And that's the thing, I think, that, you know, you can only... It's difficult difficult when you you write a book, you think you you kind of have to be the expert. And actually, you know, you realise increasingly that, no, the reason that you write it is because you're writing for you, is because you're exploring something. And, you know... I'm still exploring something and really you're just really all you can do is just ask a lot of questions. So I think that, you know, to begin with, you are writing the book that you want to read, that you need to read. That's, that's what's going to happen. I think letting go of not being an expert was quite a big thing for me in terms of, you know, realizing that it just it helped me just as much as it helped readers. Um, so I think that is one side of it. Um, I think that, you know, I think that the other, the other perspective is that, you know, this, this idea is something that I sat with for a long time. I, uh, to give a time frame, you know, I made the New Year's resolution to start spending a bit more time alone in January 2019. Um, I only started writing the book proposal in September 2019. So I was this this thing existed as a Google Doc, effectively, um, that no one saw. Um, that I, you know, I'd, I'd just add to whenever I had a bit more thoughts about alonement. And um, I think that being able to have that sort of pureness, being able to have that kind of room of, you know, that virtual room of one's own um, for such a long time was really important because I think that, you know, I, I've i had to, you know, not had to, I, I get to, I, I get the absolute privilege of speaking, writing, whatever, you know, look, thinking about this topic all the bloody time. And... I think that if I hadn't had that background, if I hadn't had that sort of time sitting with it, refining it, really committing to it, then that would get jarring. And it's not every, you know, every time feels fresh, every time I, you know, I'm, I'm in love with this concept and I believe in it so much. And I'm someone that gets very easily bored of things. So I think that I'm so glad to have found something so special to care about um, that I know is, been so important to so many people mm. it's interesting because i would love to see you build a movement but of people being alone it kind of it's it's a dichotomy isn't it it's <laughs> sort of like come together but don't don't come together <laughs> it is you know paul like i've had uh, so i've had one uh, i've done you know, i've done a good few virtual events for this i had one um in-person event where i did a sort of journaling evening about a couple of months ago in camden and all the people that turned up it was really remarkable because they were all incredibly 
incredibly thoughtful people you know very interested in like personal development all of that but also incredibly sociable and there was just there was something about being alone together which was just so beautiful I think there really is that kind of person you know that was on on like and I think so many of us relate to this you know being on the cusp of that introversion and that extroversion and actually you know having a community around something sometimes just makes you feel less alone for wanting to value time alone if that makes sense but you know there, there is an inherent paradox but somehow somehow it works yeah no i can see that i can see people because it's not a negative is it it's people coming together to support something that's not seen as a negative so 100 percent, i can i can definitely attest to why that would, that would definitely work there oh that's a great a great poignant uh point to leave the conversation on um okay thank you for being part of mouthwash francesca any final thoughts or advice for when it comes to being better alone um you know what i think i think just to say that you know it's not an end destination you know there are weeks where you know there are weeks where I'm an absolute traitor to my own brand and I know that that's all of us you know I know I know that you know I know that that it isn't it isn't a natural thing necessarily it's not well it's not natural it's not it's not where your mind goes on default you know it does seem harder but it is always worth it and it will always reap dividends so I think you know just it's not a destination it's a value you'll slip up you'll come back to it but you know again just acknowledging and valuing that relationship with yourself um is just such an important thing i can't stress enough yeah no definitely uh, it's a great book make sure you run out and um, buy a copy um i've got an amazing cohort of people this season uh, on mouthwash big tech entrepreneurs designers speechwriters, everyone uh if it's important to being a better person business or planet uh we're talking about it so up next um is tonight we have matthew cockerell he's an amazing um designer and thinker all about design and we're talking about being better designers so uh yeah if you're interested in circular economy and that sort of stuff make sure you tune in um Sign up for the SMS alerts and you'll never miss a minute of mouthwash. Just simply go to mouthwash.norby.live, pop in your mobile and sell, and boom, you'll be alerted when the good things are rolling your way. Uh, once again, my thanks to the superb Francesca Spectre. Uh, follow her on Twitter at Shares Spectre, and her website is alonement.com. Don't forget the podcast as well. Um, please show your appreciation one more time with a shower of emoji for Francesca as the lo-fi music plays us out. Thanks for joining. Uh, thanks to Ecology for planting a tree for everyone who did join. And thanks to Spaces Dashboard for helping good audio be found. I've been Paul Armstrong. This has been Mouthwash, a fresh chat that leaves you more confident only on Twitter spaces. Mm-hmm.